0: Okay, stop the tick please. Weezer episode 50. Today we have a very special episode 50 and it's special because not only is it our second part of our Jason Cropper interview, but he sent us a file of one of his new songs and it happens to be about Weezer. And I think that we are the only people that have it, have access to it unless you went to his live show on the 27th, which I hope you did. But if not, please enjoy the song at the end of the episode. It was truly an honor to talk to him for a couple hours and get to know him a little bit. And I honestly have to say that he was one of like the nicest people I've (laughs) ever talked to in my entire life. So I wasn't expecting that. And it was a very pleasant surprise. Such a good person with like a great heart and you can just feel his positive energy coming off of them. I don't know how to explain it. I really hope that you guys enjoy the second part of an interview. And I know I did. And um, thank you so much for listening. Was that like when you hear from Rivers and he's like, Hey, I'm gonna be in San Fran. Do you wanna come like hang out? You wanna play some songs with me?
1: I remember both times how it went down. So I haven't been like, you know, going out to see bands a lot in the past, you know, 20 odd years. I've been a dad. I have you know four kids, I've been raising, you know, and I do love music. But I have friends who love it more. They love to go out. And so I have a really good friend and his name is Dave. And he will invite me without fail to show after show after show. And I will tell him yes. And then I'll flake and he won't get mad and he'll still invite me. Right. Very kind. And he, so he said to me, uh, this was last year, spring of last year. He's like, Hey, Jason, Rivers is going to play a solo show at Bottom of the Hill. It's probably already sold out, but you think you could get his tickets? I was like, I will definitely try to do that. So I reached out to Sarah, who was still working with Rivers at that point. I think she's since retired from that gig. And I said, you know, Sarah, hey, could I get a couple passes to come and see Rivers solo show in San Francisco? If that's okay just a text message. And I was, this is so geeky, but I was in the car with Amy, my wife, and we were driving down the street and Weezer was on the radio. And I look at my phone and there's the reply. It was Buddy Holly was playing on KITS or whatever the local, you know, station is up here. And Sarah's response is absolutely absolutely. And how would you feel about getting up on stage and playing a couple songs for old time's sake? And I was just like, Oh my gosh. That is so freaking cool. That is so <laughs> awesome. And I, um, of course I was like, yeah. Uh, and my response was, are you still tuning uh, a half step down? And the response was probably, you know, dictated directly from Rivers E flat for life. You <laughs> flat for life. Because Weezer has pretty much always tuned their guitars a half step left. Cool. Yeah, it was really, really, really cool.
0: Do you get, like, do a lot of Weezer fans reach out to you? And how was the response when you, like, did, if I was there, which I'm pissed I didn't go or couldn't go, I would have freaked out, like, to see you on stage. So, like as a surprise, I would have totally freaked out. So I'm imagining everyone freaked out, but maybe some people didn't know like what was going on or.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, so when I was, let's see, like in 1995, 96, I used, to, and, and for a while there, I used to get phone calls. This is again, you know, like right before AOL dot com Mm -hmm. took off. It was like, get on mom. Right before that, the phone would ring at at some points, like once a week. And the the person on the other end of the phone was usually a young person, usually a a young man. And there were usually young women in the background. They could hear their voices. And the young man would say, is this the real Jason Cropper? (laughs) And at first I thought it was my friend's fucking with me because we hang out <laughs> with the guys from jackass before they became jackass. And they would always prank each other and do silly jokes on each other. And the first couple times somebody called I'm like, okay, who is, who is this? Is this Jack? Is this, is this Bill? Who is this? And no, I'm, my name is, you know, whoever they were. I live in this town, Ann Arbor, Michigan you're Jason Cropper, the original guitar player from Weezer, right? And I would say, yes. And then sometimes they would even say, no, uh, <laughs> it's not, you. this isn't the real Jason Cropper. And I would say, okay, you called me. <laughs> I'm nobody. Why would someone pretend to be me and wait for you to call? Just curious. So that used to happen quite a bit, and it was maddening and hilarious at the same time, right?
0: What did they want to know? Like, just like make sure that that was your number, or would they like ask you music questions?
1: No, they just were like, I, "No way," and I'm like, "Yeah, no way, yeah, <laughs> no way." Uh, All right, well, hey, listen, I got to go and wash the dishes now. So um, call me anytime, but I may not answer once I get your, you know, once I know your number because I got caller ID now and I can see, you know, because we got a new phone or whatever. That's funny. Yeah. So for those shows, there was a moment with the bottom of the hill one, because it was a real surprise, like, no, you know, nobody really knew. And it was sold out. It's a pretty small place, but, you know, as far as, like, the places Weezer Place. But I was standing in the back because the sound is better there. You know, like, good sound. And then Rivers calls me up, and the place was full. It was very crowded. And so there were, like, at one point, I'm, like, walking through. I'm, like, sorry, excuse me. So, to You know, like, I basically had to touch, like, half the people there. Like, sorry, excuse me. Which is fine. And there was a guy that I got to and he was pissed because somebody was trying to, you know how it is. It shows when people try to get in front of you. Yes. I think he thought I was doing that. And he he was like, oh man, like what the fuck or something like that. And, and everybody's like, no, no, it's the guy. It's like, we're trying to let him get up on stage. Like he's not going to take your place. Right. It was sort of like what the people around who were like looking at me walking through and like smiling and this guy wasn't, he didn't know. So That was funny. You know, I'm, I'm a pretty pedestrian and normal guy. I'm not like a very, I don't think of myself as very eccentric. Maybe I am, but I don't think I am. And so I'm, I'm pretty approachable, you know, like if anybody who's, who listens to this interview wants to meet me, if I come through their town or they live here in the Bay area, that's fine. Just look me up. I I'm available, you know, I won't bite. I'm safe.
0: Well, and did you have a an amazing reception when you got up there? did, it, did everyone just it was
1: a was it was, it, it, it was you yeah, beyond my ability to describe like people <laughs> screaming for Rivers and for Weezer and for the songs and me being like a little footnote that he could bring out and say, "Oh, you want more like the Blue album?" right? Because that's, I mean, right, the Saturday Night Live thing. And that is a real conversation. Like, well, why isn't it, you know, what happened with Pinkerton? And why is it more like this? And what happened after that? And why did Matt leave? And blah, 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 and all that. And so for Rivers to be able to say, well, people, I have this guy that's never really been involved since then. And he was only there in the early part. And if you dig through all the archives that have been Trickled out. You can find videos and pictures, and this is what it was like before we were a real band and Jason was there. And Jason's here now.
0: How did it feel to play those songs together?
1: I love those songs. Those songs are awesome. They're so fun to play. And I got, re- you know, and I prepared. Like I wasn't going to show up like half cocked, you know? Right. I want him to look good and sound good if I'm participating. That's my job. That's the job of the other guitar player in, you know, with rivers is like, make it so he can sing more and play less if he wants or whatever.
0: Do you, so I, you did that twice now, right? Do you think that that'll happen again? Or do you see yourself maybe going into the studio or like even, I don't know, mini touring with them?
1: Oh man. Yeah. Whatever they, if they
0: triple guitar action, sure.
1: <laughs> if, if they, you know, I mean, the funny thing is, it's like, it's me saying, Hey, can I get passes to the show? And we saying, come up on stage. So I'm inviting myself, right? M- maybe that's what I should be doing all along is, Hey, can I come? And I'm, Hey, I'm going to be in Minnesota when you guys are, can I, you know, get passes. Oh, and I'll have my guitar. Do I have an extra <laughs> amp?
0: <laughs> what are they going to say? Right?
1: <laughs> I don't know.
0: <laughs> well, it would probably be hard to tell you no.
1: Realistically, I think it's important to respect Brian and Scott here. You know, they do. Those guys work hard at holding it down. I mean, my God, like they both play all these keyboards and stuff besides guitar and bass and sing all these incredible harmonies. Like Scott could sing the whole set and it would be awesome, right? I'm pretty sure Brian could too. I'm I'm pretty sure Pat could too. Because, you know, they're always drilling those barbershop things. You can't just like show up and just sing barbershop. You have to warm up. You have to know the song. You have to know all these weird, close, tight harmonies, to be able to sing, to, to roll with rivers. So, you know, a lot of respect to Brian and Scott. And I think, you know, me like, you know, sort of wading into their world on stage, on tour in, you know, city X, I I don't want to, you know, it it would have to be right. It would have to be like, okay, this is going to be awesome. It's not just going to be like we're bringing Jason up and would be like this you know, for, for nostalgia, it would have to be something amazing that they were excited about. It's kind of my, you know, maybe I'm reading too much into it.
0: I think that, no, I get what you're saying. I think you're right. I think it'd have to be a right, like maybe a cool anniversary show. And, um, I think that from what I know of Brian and, and Scott, that they would, I mean, I feel like Scott is such a nice person that he would be excited and he would be like, yeah, that would be awesome. Let's do it. I'm not, I don't know, you know, I don't think I know Brian's personality well enough to know that he would be like excited about it, but I'm sure he'd be like, I don't think he would feel threatened or, you know, upset about it.
1: So Brian's a rock star. Brian's amazing.
0: Tell us about your music with Chopper One and 22 Jacks, your other bands.
1: So uh, 22 Jacks was a band that um, Joe Sib, who had been the lead singer of a contemporary band of Weezers named Wax. Uh, Joe had, Wax had disbanded and Joe had started a record label with his buddy and he wanted to make a record where he was the singer and Steve Soto of the Adolescents and a decently well-known sort of underground punk pop band named Joyride wanted to co-write with, with Joe and with, and possibly with me. And, um, so Joe and I started, uh, songwriting together and, and it was fun. We came up with some good tunes and I was, you know, he had a lot to say lyrically. And so I could just kind of, work around that musically so i wrote a bunch of songs with him and then steve soto popped up as you know like he's gonna play i think it i think he played bass and then we wrote more songs and then um joe put a rehearsal together and chris Shiflet from the foo fighters was there and that was really neat and he wasn't in the foo fighters then he was playing in punk rock bands like no use for a name and other you know bands from that era like warp tour type bands Mm-hmm. and we went and made a really cool record and then Joe put it out. And I think, you know, they, and at that point, and it was sort of like Weezer again, Joe was like, come with us, come and you know, tour with us and all this stuff. And at that point I had Kiefer and I was like, no, I'm gonna, I'm going to do my music. I'm going to be the singer. I was like, Are you sure? It was like, yeah pretty sure I'm going to just do me and replace me, go find somebody else. And I think Chris left the band, you know, after making the record and went and did his own thing elsewhere. And then I, and at that point I was like, okay, I'm going to use the tools that I learned from rivers about, you know, wood shedding a bunch of songs and I'm going to put together a, a trio and, you know, and Kiefer's mom, Amy, was like, "I will play the bass and sing backup vocals with you and co-write songs with you." And I was like, "Do you know how to play the bass?" And she said, <laughs> like, "No," but it doesn't matter. And I said, "Okay, let's figure it out." And we did it. And um, that was a really interesting time. You know, it was like we made—I think we made a good record, that Chopper One record—and then and I kept writing like, you know, as we were like touring and, and finishing, you know, we would take breaks from tours. And I wrote this song called a Punk named Josh, which was kind of a fun, goofy sort of like send up of like, you know, warp tour band type material. And, um, and it, (laughs) it was weird. It was again, before really like the, the term viral, the song went viral and it, we didn't have a distribution deal with the record label. Where it was Restless Records, the first label that had been interested in Weezer. I went back to them. I was like, "Well, you we can have the leftovers," and they're like, <laughs> "We'll take it. We'll take it." And so, did a record deal with them. And, I, and the song named named Josh. I remember somebody handed me a trade magazine at one point. It was like, you know, radio playlists of like what song is getting played the most in what market all around the world, any genre of music. And I and they're like, here, look at this page. And it was Australia. And it was number one most added tracks. Like number one, two, three, four, five. Most often played songs in alternative rock format in Australia. This must have been like 1998 or nine. And it was a punk named Josh. And then it was like the Verve, Green Day, <laughs> the Verve Pipe and yeah. tonic or somebody like that.
0: That's cool.
1: They were like, wow, you got a number one in Australia. I was like, we don't have a distribution deal. Like there were all of these sort of like, yeah, you don't have the, the money to go there. The, you don't have a drummer right now. Cause we had broken up sort of, or whatever had happened. And it, you know, it was like just kind of tumbling through, stumbling through the career aspects of it. I, a little disorganized and um, I, you know, it taught me some humility and it, you know, like kind of putting it back into frame of reference around Weezer. It really taught me a lot of uh, respect for what those guys had done at that point with me and without, and very much so without me.
0: Cause now you're doing it on your own and, and seeing
1: so fucking hard. Yeah. Like that whole. And, and at this point the music industry was starting to dissolve like out of nowhere, the internet was literally just eating it and it was scary for people
0: and people didn't know what was going to happen
1: people no, and people out f- everywhere from recording studios to record stores to record labels to every to radio stations every part of the whole business they were all saying the same thing which was this is the end this is the end it's gonna end and what you know what i i remember thinking to myself like well people are still going to get up in front of microphones with guitars or you know djs with their turntables or you know singers or rap artists or whatever people are still gonna go and see shows that's still gonna happen but how like if record stores disappear and then apple itunes happened and it was like whoa this is crazy and the whole disruption and the whole sort of like
0: stealing of the money or not the money the music Napster, Napster,
1: right and it was like there was no money coming in anymore and i remember i think this was around the time like rivers i think was he'd already gone to harvard right? He was already ahead of the curve. You know, Rivers is just, he's a Gemini. So he's, it's like, he can predict the future very easily as (laughs) we've always thought about him because of his astrology, if you will. And and he's just a very unique and beautiful person, but he had taken a break to go and do his person, you know, to finish up his sort of housekeeping, right? With his education kind of right before and during the beginning of the end of the old version of the music industry. Smart.
0: How did the, going back to like back in the day, what about, do we already talk about 22 Jacks?
1: A little bit. Yeah. I told you about the 22 Jacks album and then the the Chopper one album. Okay. Yeah.
0: Similar kind of, or types of music.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, similar to Weezer and, you know, I haven't
0: listened to, I, I have, I actually have the Chopper one CD, uh, but I haven't listened to it in a really long time. So <laughs> I don't neither. remember. <laughs> it's probably weird to talk about. No, it's um,
1: fine. I, I'm proud of that record. I think it's good. I think I could have, you know, I, when I think back on it, I have, I'm like, Oh, I should have, you know, like made the drummer play faster here. I made him play too slow. Cause I was like, I didn't want the song to go by too quickly of, he rushed, and it's like, well, fuck it, it's you know, sort of punk pop, like rush it a little bit.
0: Yeah, be be, you know, it's your music,
1: make it dangerous.
0: <laughs> so you're featured on the the video capture device. Did you work with Carl on that at all, or did you know, or did you kind of just watch it?
1: That's Carl. He was you know, anything that you see that's old video was just because Carl smartly had a video camera going, and we would watch the videos sometimes and laugh. (laughs) And sometimes we would watch them and say, yeah, you can't, you know, like Matt would say like, Jason, you can't wear that anymore. Or, you know, whatever. Like, you know, we're, they were using it as a tool to like see how we looked, so we could practice like fixing how we looked because how we looked was we were all very, you know, there was a lot of embarrassment around like how, we look crazy. We look stupid, you know, we are kids. And I think that's important, you know, to be able to,
0: yeah.
1: you know, give yourself constructive feedback in that way.
0: Interesting that you had the wherewithal to even like do that. I don't know. I, I guess when you're, Uh, going through that, it just is one of those things that you have to think about. I just, that's interesting.
1: No, I think, I mean, you know, these artists, you know, Weezer, you know, anybody, they have to consider this stuff because it's important for them to, A, you know, be who they really are and and in order and feel confident when they step out in front of a, a giant group of people. And, if they look at a video of themselves and they're like, "Oh my god, why did I do that? Why did I wear that? What am I doing?" That's not sustainable. So you then you change it, right? And and you just keep making little improvements or little fixes along the way. I think is you know evolving. Evolving.
0: Did you get a chance to meet Mikey when he was? around or were you close with anybody during the green album time I
1: remember if i ever actually met mikey um chopper one had a like a radio hit in boston during the like late, late 90s time that we toured i think that was 97 or 98 and i want to say that he came and introduced himself but i wouldn't have remembered it or chosen to like you know, be on top of it enough to know who he was at that point. Cause I was so like wrapped up in my own world and not
0: really thinking like, I've got to remember this moment. So are you really a member of the Weezer fan club?
1: So Michael and Carly included me, uh, in their work, but I think when it shut down and then got restarted, I think I, I, because I was like an honorary member and I got you know like they would just oh, let's send Jason one or whatever you know it was. But that was a personal touch. I think that they gave me.
0: Everybody like special cards. I think you all got those.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think we were like the original fan. <laughs> yeah, and I, <laughs> but I think mine was like unnumbered.
0: Yes. Do you, do you have it? I wonder if you have it still.
1: Probably if, if it is within my possession, it's probably in a stack of photographs of the band at electric ladies studios that I, my ex-wife probably has in a storage container
0: <laughs> somewhere. Oh, you got to get that. Got to get those.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Do you have a favorite Weezer album?
1: I uh, really enjoyed Ratitude a lot. I thought that was great. Um, I mean, the blue album still just kind of... The green album is awesome, too. And I I like Everything Will Be Alright in the end, also.
0: Do you have a favorite Weezer song?
1: I mean, My Name Is Jonas is definitely... Of it because it's the only one that you know I got a co-write on, but I do, I love Say It Ain't So, I just gotta, you know, I'll always hold a, a torch for that.
0: That's that's my personal favorite song,
1: <laughs> yeah. It really is authentic, I think, from Rivers' personal life, and I think that what he leaves out that, you know, in most of the songs that he writes now is what that song has the most stuff. Does that make sense?
0: hmm I think that that is, uh, I mean, when you can feel the emotion and feel a connection on a song with somebody that you don't know, like that is, you've hit the mark, you know, like you can't, it's like the best.
1: Yeah. Yeah, when a when you can feel somebody's, you know, hurt or joy and it's authentic. You know. You just know.
0: Well, and I think he still has like the ability to go there with music, but maybe because of the the style that he writes in now, it's like it's not there in the in the words maybe as much as back then.
2: Well,
1: I think the best is yet to come with Rivers, ultimately, is what it's, that's probably the, the safest bet. Is that he is, we're, we're, we're only seeing a very small little window of what he does creatively. Right. He's, he's a very, he's always been a very prolific person and also very Res, respectful of his process you know he he one thing he taught me or tried to teach me i'm still kind, kind of trying to learn this is to respect the you know the music meaning to keep it safe to keep it dry to keep it you know <laughs> um private to keep it within easy quick reach and dated correctly. So you can go back. To, so you can go back to 1997 or 1990, whatever, 2000, whatever, and get the demos that you you know, did or get the, you know, whatever. And find that, you know, like I played a piece when we were warming up at, um, the, um, August Hall, the second show I played with him. I played a piece that I had shared with him to get him to write. And he had co re- he had written lyrics and melody on, on a, on a really pretty piece of music that I wrote on guitar and he had, and it was like, Whoa, that's even more personal than saying so more emo. And it got shelved, It got pushed aside, buddy, Holly, And holiday and, you know, the prototypes that I think led to like Island of the Sun were that style was happening. And Mm -hmm. so for him to go further into like the sad stuff at that time as the album was getting pre-produced and actually Rick was involved and it was like, we're, you know. So, and I played that for him while we were on stage, just the two of us warming up with, you know, that sound check. And he looked at me and he recognized it and he said, oh, I don't... He said, why don't I have that? And I said, because I read it. <laughs> and he was like, oh, I love that. And I was like, yeah, it's good. And so I have this fantasy about, you know... I mean, And this is probably reaching, but because we have this sort of extended family connection and I wasn't there for everything that's happened since the blue album that if we were to get a chance to work together again, that he could entrust in me the sort of emotional sort of like safe space for him to actually do whatever it is that he can't do with those guys because they're like, no, you know, because in every band, I mean, it's a band, it's not Rivers Cuomo and, Weezer or Weezer featuring Rivers Cuomo, it's Weezer right? And when he goes and does his own music, that's his music that they're not going to play it. for whatever reason, whether he doesn't want to play it with them or they don't want to play it with him or they just don't end up playing it together because those are the songs that between Rivers, the band and the A&R guy and whoever all else is, has any say whatsoever those are the songs that ended up on the record. I feel like if he and I were to collaborate together again, that would be the place where he could really like bring everything that, you know, can't be brought in reason. And I could, and I, and I know what to do now. I'm, you know, like I'm older and wiser. I'm, I know how to hold space, you know, for a creative force. So, I would do. I would be glad to do that for him. I think the fans would be glad to have access to that side of him.
0: Oh yeah, for sure.
1: And if, and if you know, if I had any constructive feedback for you know, Weezer, and and you know, don't get me wrong, I get it. You know, like Africa, like they had a no- that was their num that on number one. Oh my god, like congratulations, Patrick Wilson, and who's the fan who helped him to kind of. Steer that ship, you know, that's incredible. And run with it. There's time. There's time for this more personal stuff. And, and Rivers has touched on it, I think, with his, you know, his solo acoustic stuff. Yes. But there's so much more to him than just these little demos of him playing an acoustic guitar with like a little keyboard or a little harmonica or a little drum machine or whatever so much
2: more
0: cool uh well i will sign the petition or crowdfund for that one because i'm (laughs) crowdfund or i don't know what is it called
1: i guess we i should start some sort of like you know like sign and donate here if you want jason to produce a, a rivers cuomo solo album Yes, (laughs) and it's a backup plan. If it doesn't reach the goal, then a Weezer, a Weezer album,
0: (laughs) or both.
1: (laughs) Sure, yeah. Somebody ought to start that. I would, I would donate to that.
0: (laughs) Before we get to like newer, newer stuff, do you have any like cool stories about of Michael and Carly or fond memories?
1: Those two. God bless those two. Yeah. They used to babysit Kiefer for me and Amy when we would rehearse or play a Mm -hmm. show sometimes. So kind. So just giving, you know, I mean, every once in a while in your life, you meet a, a friend who just, they're just like, I don't have anything better to do than to be an amazing person who's super generous and kind and will cook clean wash, drive, support, whatever you, because I dig you and I think you're cool and I believe in you. And I, you know, as far as like supporting the arts, I mean, it was just like this, this thing happened. You know, I remember when we met them, I'm pretty sure it was at club lingerie and they, they got it. They just, and I remember they talked to Rivers after the show, and, and to Matt, and to me, and to Pat, and they were like, "We think you guys are amazing," you know. And they just kept—they just stayed engaged, and it wasn't weird. It was just real, and it was like, "I'm so sad they're gone." You know, it's hard to talk. I'm—I'm <laughs> I'm sad that they're—that they're gone.
0: It is sad, and. Um... Every everything that I read and everyone that I talk to about it, they all—it's the same thing. So yeah, it's sad when you lose like good people.
2: Yeah,
1: just two magnificent human beings, so kind, (laughs) so fun, and they—you know—they had a—they had a few other bands that they really liked too, and they're missed by more than just the. You know, at that, at this, you know, that core group of friends, they're missed by you know more than just the guys and Loser, As far as like the bands that they were really out with, and supporting.
0: Yeah, like a like Jimmy Eat World, and I know there. Bands that ones.
1: you've never heard of.
0: Yeah, and probably like just local bands, right? Yeah,
1: local LA bands that they were just deep with and friends with and tight with and supportive. And it was just, they, they, I think because of Michael and Carly early on with Weezer, it was like, okay, there's hope. There was hope when it seemed hopeless because of them. When it was like, oh, wow, we have to play that nightclub again and we have to go out and, uh, you know, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, I would catch the bus with Matt to Hollywood on a Tuesday night and we would go to Kinko's and we would, you know, spend our last dollars on, you know, a bunch of, you know...
0: Flyers. Flyers.
1: We would, yeah, we would make one and then we would shrink it and then we would copy it and copy it and copy it. And then we'd have a quad and then we would copy it. And then we, you know, if you copied 25 of those, you had a hundred, copied a hundred of those, you had 400, you know, and, and then we would blow it up on a, a legal size and we would get a staple gun and we would literally staple the big ones to telephone poles so people could see them. Right in places where they would be stuck in traffic, so you actually could read it, and it would say in big letters, "Weezer Club, lingerie, July, whatever, thirty first or something, you know, seven p.m. or whatever, doors list free, right, or something like that." And a couple other bands. We even got in trouble a couple times. The city was like, "Hey, can't do that, <laughs> right? We're gonna give you a ticket to do that again." And, um, and then we would literally, and we would go to the club and they would let us in for free because we were going to play there like the next week or the next month. We would wait until the very end and pass out flyers to everybody who's leaving, right? Like, Hey, come back next week. Come see this band next week. My band. Yes. And and every, and every, you know, 20th person would be like, Hey, is this your band? Yeah. Oh, I know. I know you you know, I know your band. And so, like, oh my God, you guys,
2: <laughs> very
1: dismissive. And that was hard. And then catch the bus back and maybe miss the last bus at 2 a.m. and have to wait until 4.30 a.m. when the, the commuting buses would start again or walk, which would take the same amount of time.
0: Right. You might as well just wait for the 4.30 bus.
1: <laughs> yeah. We did that. And, and when Michael and Carly showed up, it was like, oh, wow. Yeah, we believe in ourselves, but these people believe in us maybe even more. And, ha- and I think the lesson there that's really important is that it, when you have someone believing in you, it makes a huge difference. And I think the other lesson there for me was realizing it's important to pick people who need it, and then believe in them, the way Michael and Carly did with Weezer. People need that, in life. so I try to do that. Even if it's just a friend, we're not out there being an artist or a business person or whatever. But just you know, pick somebody who who deserves it, and it might make a difference. And believe in them, and show them you believe in them, and then it, it could it could make a difference for a lot of people, and it did, it has, it does. So they made, they made a huge impact.
0: I I agree, yeah, and I I think you're right. I think it and it always feels good to like pay it forward, you know, and I I think that you always get it back too somehow.
1: You know, even if it's just your subconscious sees good being done in the world. It doesn't know the difference between itself and the other.
0: Or just that you did it is enough sometimes.
1: Certainly. Yeah. Without expect, you know, high intention, low attachment, without expectation of acknowledgement or reward. Creating good is its own
2: reward.
0: Is that a quote? A Jason Cropper quote. I like it. (laughs) (laughs) So we will transition to like... You know the newer stuff. I am a fan of podcasting. So in my research travels, I saw that you were on uh, two podcasts, one called Death Metal Dads and another one called Vibrations. So how did those come about and did you have a fun time?
1: So fun. Yeah. Death Metal Dads is a cool show. Um, they Let's see. Kiefer, my daughter's uh, roommate, I think it was dating one of the guys in Death Metal dance and they were like, "Jason, would you do this?" And I was like, "heck, why not? Why not? Might as well." I'm, you know, not doing anything like that, and then I might as well practice a little bit in terms of like interviewing with them when they, you know, play music and put out a record. People are going to want to know about Weezer and stuff. And so I had to like figure out how I sound talking about it by giving you know, these guys about it and they were they're fun. they're hilarious. They're, they're goofy and silly and smart
0: are they still podcasting?
1: I don't know I think so. I, I don't pay too much attention to you know like I listen to uh, Guru Singh. he's got a great podcast. I really he's a kundalini yoga teacher in um, Los Angeles. His teacher, uh, uh, Yogi Bhajan, who's uh, deceased, he was a contemporary with, um, Swamiji Sachidananda, who started the ashram that my auntie was with her school teacher at. So I, am I'm, I'm a fan of Guru Singh's work. He's also a musician. I like his podcast. A lot of really smart esoteric wisdom and yoga type like wisdom there, built for modern times. And then, um, Oprah's podcast is pretty cool. She's always got some luminaries on there. You know? And then, um, I try to get into ritual a little bit, but I'm not really like an Iron Man type guy, but I do try to subscribe to like plant based eating. But man, you know, like, who has, you gotta like pick a time. It's like, oh, I'm on the treadmill from this time to this time on these days. That's like podcast time or something like that, right?
0: <laughs> yes. In general. They're, you know, on the way to work, working out, doing you know, for me sometimes it's yard work. Sure.
1: Yes. It's smart.
0: <laughs> so why don't why don't you tell everybody uh what you're up to now? I know that you have your Uh, studio and um
1: sure yeah I have a career at Vintage King I love that it's really fun I sell audio equipment to people at recording studios home recording studios schools touring artists all kinds of boutique and esoteric equipment for getting that special sound you know which I I love you know that was it's funny back in the day with Weezer I always was really drawn to like, well, you know, like, uh, like, for instance, the, the blue guitar that Rivers plays now, that is a copy of a guitar that I had built that he played on the blue album and toured with for a time thereafter until he gave it to Adam and Shufflepuck who broke it on stage one day at the Whiskey A Go-Go. <laughs> and like Rivers, excuse me, early guitar amp, was a Mesa Boogie amp that I picked up at a, a store, secondhand in a store in LA called Guitar Guitar. And I knew that it would sound like Carlos Santana. And I knew that if we had like the Carlos Santana guitar sound with the riffs that, that Pat and Rivers were writing, that it would be like just fucking dope for guitar. And so when you listen to the Blue Album Guitar Sounds, a lot of what you're hearing, as far as just from the amp, from Rivers' amp mainly, was my guitar, those pickups, the way it's wired, and that amp. And I'm proud of that, you know? And, um, and then working at Ocean Way for, for 12 years, you know, this is a recording studio that their, their tagline, their elevator pitch was a billion records sold, right? Sort of like McDonald's, like literally. Like, we are the world was recorded there. Okay, computer was recorded there. It's a really cool studio. So I love the technology that's used, you know, and everything from the microphone to the speaker and all of it in between and how it all works and why it sounds the way it does. It's always been fascinating to me. So I get to just dabble in that daily with Vintage King. And then Amy, my wife has a, um, she's a licensed marriage and family therapist. And so she has a private practice office and um, a larger room came available in the building that we had it in. And I saw the larger room. I listened to the acoustics of it and I was just like, Oh, this is, this could be a great little project studio. And so I got it for her to have her practice. And then I get to have a studio in there. And, um, and it's great. It's big enough to have like a, a band rehearse and record and spacious enough to sit on couches and relax. And so it's it's kind of a you know, it's like a dream come true.
0: You can um have your therapy and then do a jam sesh afterwards.
1: <laughs> Work out your, your deepest emotional issues and then write a song about it and record it all in the same place. <laughs> I'll
0: have to tell my therapist to get on top of that
1: it's like art therapy basically <laughs> there you go <laughs> which is what i mean emo music is art therapy if 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 not that what is it right
0: very true yeah and well and music is therapeutic in general too like no matter what kind of music it is it can do that like if you just want to chill you can listen to some acoustic guitar if you want to Get pumped up because you're in a good mood and you want to, you know, listen to something fun or just like girly, like some Britney Spears. It just, you know, it's, it'll, it can get you in a different mood depending on where you want to be. So yeah. I think, you know, it's that along with art, music is um, one of the most important things. It brings people together, it creates connection, people relate to it you know depending on whatever and i don't think that we're i don't think there'll ever, ever be a time when there when we don't have music and it's not changing and growing and so i think it's important
1: it's a beautiful way to communicate yeah
0: yeah any cool bands that you've you know come across in your in your career your travels
1: that like nobody knows about, or yeah,
0: like that you've gotten to work with that like people should hear,
1: oh gosh, let's see here It's been a while since I you know was really dabbling hardcore in that, I mean, like since the studio has opened, it's been a a little bit more, but I've just been really picky and choosy about you know it's been more of like community stuff, um my friend Brian Kenny, he uh has been really influential with me in terms of just sort of like healing, helping me to heal my own issues around being creative musically, which I, you know, so he's made a a bunch of records and one of them uh, we made together uh, at the studio. And that was sort of like the litmus test for like, okay, let's make a record there and see if we can do it, you know? And so yeah, Brian Kenny, K E N N Y. Great guy. And um, we recorded a record for a guy named Ilan Navah, I-L-A-N-N-A-V-A-H. And he was coming from like a kind of a vision quest experience out of like, you know, plant medicine, healing modalities out here on the West Coast in Latin America, South America, where... You know, indigenous people will like you know concoct some psychedelic you know mixture, and then the person who takes it will have like this kind of rebirth experience over the course of a few hours. And he had a vision about um, birds and writing an album about bird spirits, and it's a beautiful record.
0: Cool. Uh, we we were just talking about that at dinner last night, so it's weird that you bring that up Um,
1: talking about
0: about people doing that i don't know if it was like what what it came what why it came up but they my parents were talking about how there's like a show about people doing that and going on you know journeys and it's like a thing these days
1: i mean i think it, it makes a lot of sense that if we're essentially reducing ourselves to a um a living to work type of existence and the only guarantees are, you know, death and taxes, right? And then you get sick, whether emotionally, mentally, spiritually, physically or some combination of all four of those. And, you know, you hear about your friends if you're lucky and you're not this person who gets cancer and has to go through that whole situation or somebody who gets addicted to, you know, prescription opioids or just like mood stabilizers for serotonin reuptake inhibitors or whatever the latest, you know, you know, technological trend is in, in pharmaceuticals. And then you look at the statistics for how much it costs a person in Italy or the United Kingdom to get insulin per day. Versus a person in the United States, right? And it's like fifteen dollars a month in Italy, and like thirty-six dollars a month in in the United Kingdom. It's like it's like twelve dollars a day in the United States to get insulin. It's like, well, wait a second, why? Well, it's because of price fixing and greed, right? And so then you you have this industry that is designed at its core and its, its basis on one hand for wellness and healing and medicine. And then somewhere in there is a cancerous notion where it's actually just for profit and money is more important than people and the market will decide and aging in a society like we, you know, we eventually are here in the United States where that is the rub. That is, you know, what we have to deal with, you know, unless we leave and move to Switzerland or Canada or something, we're stuck here and you get sick or you decide you want some healing or you want some wellness that is outside of the purview of your doctor or your pharmacological, you know, materialist reductionist Walgreens
0: <laughs> yeah
1: right your your HMO between your doctor your HMO or your PPO and Walgreens or wherever you get your prescription filled if it's not working what do you do whether you're dying or you're just heartbroken or both and the fact of the matter is that people who live in the forest or off the land, have for generations known how to work out some of those problems without the PPO or the doctor or the Walgreens. And they do. And they have their cures and they are, and everyone dies still and every, and people get sick still. And it's not perfect, but it's different than what we experience. And it's, you know, it's not by accident that both Denver and Oakland decriminalized psychedelic mushrooms. If you look at the Harvard psychology studies, psychedelic mushrooms don't work for everybody who's depressed, but in better than seven out of 10 cases, they do and you don't have to keep using them for them to work. You use them once or maybe you use them for like, you know, a couple like every other weekend for six weeks, and then you're done, and it worked, and it's and it's it's done. You know,
0: I didn't I didn't know that.
1: So it's like okay, well, what do what do these people who work closely with plants and nature know that people who are are working in a laboratory and a, a board of directors and a, a bunch of shareholders don't know? Well, they both know something the other person doesn't know.
0: Yeah. That's crazy. But I I didn't I didn't know that about mushrooms. California should get on get on top of that. Or Los Angeles.
1: (laughs) Right. There's a lot of places where it would do it could do a lot of good. I mean, you know, the
0: Why is that? Is it because you're kind of taking a break for a second and your brain has a chance to like it's kind of like a dream where in your dreams you work through your problems and like it helps with that or is it a
1: good question? Why? Yeah. Why does, um, you know, why does anything that goes across the blood brain barrier and changes consciousness work? Why does music make people feel different? Why does music alter your mood or your, your state of mind? Why? We don't know, it, but it's a very, you know, it's like a complex com- supercomputer that we're walking around with. And then we're putting another one in our hands and staring at it all day. And that's kill. People are killing themselves because they're addicted to their screens. Like literally children are kill are committing suicide at a higher rate than ever before. And I, I don't know, but I believe in from my armchair psychology back, you know, background, which is absolutely meaningless in the tenured world of, you know, you know, peer-reviewed research, but I believe that these screens are breaking hearts and minds faster than anything else ever has. And they're everywhere. And they're on all the time.
0: Yeah. It's crazy. I think we'll go back. I think at some point we'll get over it because it'll just be boring. You know, we were, I don't know, have you ever watched Black Mirror
1: I watched a couple episodes and I was like, I, I can't put this in my information in my mind. I get it. <laughs> I
0: watched, yeah. The first one I, I I watched two and I don't think I can do another one, but um the first one where it's like they're basically like you have the ability to like record everything in your life in your brain that you see and that you can like rewind and relive everything whenever you want. And and I'm like, then they're not they're so obsessed with rewatching and analyzing everything that they're doing all the time and going back in time and looking at this and looking at that, that they're not living in now. And at some point, like we're all going to be like, yeah, the phone's great and stuff, but like, I don't care. Like I don't, like it can stay in, in in my purse all day, you know, or. I I
1: mean, I, for me, I file, you know, the idea of like AI and, you know, the, the robots helping us technology, helping us eventually it gets to the same sort of like, you know, how do I say this? The, the sum of diminishing, you know, the concept of the sum of diminishing returns. No, it's this idea that if you have a, a process that yields a, an end result, a profit, if you will. Right. It's like you do this, this plus this equals that, and we want that. So we're going to do this plus this. And we're going to get that, this plus this, we're going to get that. We want more of that. So we keep doing this plus this, more of that. And then eventually this plus this starts to equal a little bit less of of that. And then a little bit less of that. And the value of that becomes less because you've got so much of it now. Right. And then eventually that process becomes a liability Because that is, is not, is, is too much.
2: It's Mm -hmm. poisoning
1: you or worse, right? But it happens over time. So you don't notice it. And some of the side effects of that sort of dynamic in in our current life, it's like, you know, here's one. Um, hey, I got an idea. Let's build a city on Mars and, uh, fix the atmosphere there. How about we just save this planet? We're already here.
0: Right. Yeah. What are you
1: doing? Stop. Or, hey, once the computer can think for itself and is aware of itself, that'll be really special somehow. (laughs) Guess what? We're already here. That's us. Nobody wants to talk about that, but it's true.
0: Yeah. Stop freaking me out (laughs) because that i will like you don't think of us as being computers but like you're right it is true like our that's what our brain is we're better than
1: anything we can devise
0: yeah
1: it's already been done
0: or just like be happy
1: why would you try to make something that's smarter or and faster than us right i don't yeah
0: that i don't know because that scares me
1: We already fuck things up enough,
0: right? You imagine what somebody more could is gonna. It'll say, "Hey,
1: those guys are fucking everything up. Get rid of them," or something we can't even imagine because it'll be smarter and faster. Right?
0: We'll be a liability, and that's scary.
1: We some it's (laughs) it's weird, but to to steer it back into um, you know sort of like self help or you know why plant medicine or. You know, um, I think that um, meditation is sort of the key to the inner medicine cabinet. I think that all the chemical compounds and um, states of mind that we need in order to live happy, productive, calm, loving, kind, compassionate lives, I think all of that uh, raw material is already within us. It's just a matter of you know doing the right exercises and routines in order to unlock it and allow for it to come forth.
0: Um, I was going to ask you about that. So, just in just talking to you, I can tell that you do you are like a a fan of meditation uh, and yoga. Um, have you been doing that forever? Have you always?
1: No, I I did it um, a lot. Right, oddly enough, right before I moved to LA and started making all my dreams come true, I was meditating daily. Um, I was doing a um, Taoist Buddhist type of meditation um, that was from a, a kung fu type, like a martial art, but just the meditation, not the actual, uh, you know, warrior science stuff. And that was really beautiful. And it was focused on uh, just visualizing energy moving around my body. I would, with my breath, I would imagine it was very simple. I would imagine energy going up my spine when I would breathe in up sort of the back side of my body. And then as I would, um, breathe out, we come, the energy that I was visualizing would come down and go in right below my navel. And then just keep repeating and repeating and repeating. And then one of the other visualizations they taught was after a certain amount of that, then you would imagine it going up and up and up. And the, this energy coming up from the sacrum, which is like the, the hip bones and the, the, you know, where the spine is within, there's like a few, few fused vertebrae within your hips and imagining it starting there and this energy would come up and go up and further up and then out the top of the skull and, and visualizing this energy going higher and higher and higher. And the idea was that it would sort of open the subconscious to a deeper sensitivity or sort of connection with the quantum field, which is the idea that and this is, you know, being proven in very sophisticated experiments, the idea that consciousness co-creates outcomes in the present moment without touching, just by thinking something, you can change the nature of reality as it's happening. And the way they prove this is with the um, the dual slit experiment experiment. And there are a bunch of dual-slit experiments where basically light waves will – a laser, and the way the light is measured, will appear as a wave when no one is watching. And then if someone is watching in a dual blind, they'll have all these people watching and no one knows that they're being watched. Even the light doesn't know. But when the light knows that someone is watching and imagining that the light will be particles as opposed to waves – then the light will be measured as particles more because someone is sitting there imagining that the light is operating as particles as opposed to waves. And the light will cooperate with the scientists because of what they're thinking. Weird. Yeah. (laughs) Right. And so the, the thinking apparently is that, because there are so many electrical impulses within our nervous system and our brain tissue and our spinal tissue, let alone our muscle tissue and all of the rest of this, that we are susceptible to the same dynamic, which is that matter and energy are consistently susceptible to changes that are, um, Affected by a consciousness imagining it as so in subtle ways and meditation and yoga meditation through yoga because for me the yoga I do it's all about moving your body and singing and chanting and medit and you know these these ancient sort of little poems and scriptures that are you know, very benign and not dogmatic, not religious, barely even spiritual, but just heart opening and mind opening. And I don't know. It's, it's weird. I mean, being a person is strange enough, you know, without explanation. It's like, if if once, when you notice a, a coincidence or a synchronicity and you're like, well, why is that? Why is, you know, why is there a ghost in my house? Or why is there a, everybody has an experience. It's like, I can't explain that. Right. You don't have to explain it, but you do get to participate in, in this wackiness we call human life. (laughs) So might as well try something new. So I I love it. Yoga is, I do Kundalini yoga. If I could do it every day, I would I try to, and it's just delightful.
0: And what kind of meditation are you doing now?
1: Uh, it's usually in the kundalini yoga. It's, okay. you know, yeah. The the really cool thing about kundalini is they get you to a highly meditative state at the end of like a, the class is are like an hour and 15 minutes. And for like the last 15 minutes, you're just in the state of like, right. And you've yeah. done all this exercise and singing and chanting along the way. So it works your body and your mind and your spirit and your, your meditation muscle. All. all in one. Yeah, it's very time effective.
0: I like it. I was doing yoga with my mom and at the end we would like lay there for, I don't know, maybe five minutes. But uh, I could have I done it longer for sure. Because <laughs> it's nice to just, I don't know if you have, if I have like the Calm app, so I try to do it when I can. But it's, I think after yoga is like the perfect time because you are just so like you're already in the zone for it. Like it's like the perfect time to go do that after. Um, but I'll have to check out the Kundalini. Kindali- kundalini? How do you?
1: Yeah. Kundalini. <laughs> and, it, and it might appear a little like some people are like, whoa, this is weird. Is this a cult? Because there are certain rules that the, the teachers have to follow. Right. Like they wear a white, sometimes turban or sometimes just like, you know, tie on their head. And they're, uh, a lot of the people, and I think it comes from the Sikh tradition, which is a Hindu, uh, sect from India. And some of these people came over as missionaries to bring these traditions to the United States. And this yoga was, Um, it's it's ancient i mean it's like thousands of years old it is thousands of years old and it's and i believe it was originally for the royalty it was for the royalty and their household the people who had they weren't you know priests and priestesses or nuns and monks that just lived in a monastery they were people who had to live normal you know lives out in the, the real world and so this yoga is for people like us who are parents or workers or artists or, you know, have jobs with bosses and subordinates.
0: <laughs> Regular people, everyone.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it really does work for me. I can't recommend it
2: more.
0: Cool. Um, well, before, you know, we're about to wrap it up. I really want to know all about your new music. Like tell us about your band, what's it called, who's in it with you. Yeah.
1: Right now I'm just calling it uh Jason Cropper and Friends. And um, you know, I'm I mean, I'm I'll be forty eight uh the night we play this show, June twenty seventh at Bottom in oh, cool. San Francisco. Happy yeah.
0: early birthday.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I figure like, okay, I'm I'm a guy who's almost 50. It's kind of like maybe a little late to start a new band, if you will. Right. And so I'm just, I was thinking like I would come up with a fun name for the band. Like, you know, Tom Petty had the Heartbreakers. I was thinking I might go with this Jason Cropper and the Lovemakers. It's kind of cute. Right. And the idea is that any of these songs that I will play will totally work with me just playing them with an acoustic guitar. Or if I want to have a band playing, it'll I'll make an amazing arrangement and that'll be really fun. And, you know, sort of on the, as far as how it relates to Weezer, yeah, I'm that guy who was there making the Blue Album before there was a Blue Album, before there was a record deal. I was there, like, Let's figure out what the guitar sounds should be. Let's figure out, you know, what the, who should sing, what background vocal parts and why. And I was, if I wasn't, you know, helping to write or arrange a song, I was watching the people who were doing it and learning from them while they were doing it. So I think that as far as, you know, if you're a Weezer fan, I think there's, you know, not to like toot my own horn too hard here, but I, you know, after Chopper one, it was sort of like, I did a couple things and then I stopped and I haven't uttered a peep musically since I think I put out one song in 2008 that's on a guitar center employee compilation. <laughs> you can go try and find it. If <laughs> very hidden. But for the past 11 years, I have not. And for much of that time, I did not pick up a guitar. I did not write any songs and then, with my kids finishing high school I was like, okay, what else am I gonna do? What else do I like to do? I like to do this yoga. You know, so I guess I could just do that. I certainly don't wanna spend all my time doing, you know, plant medicine. That would probably be a mistake. That's too much. You just you do that like once a year and that's enough, you know? So mm. what do I wanna do that makes me happy? It's make music and that's why I have the studio and then it eventually like the songs started kind of writing themselves after I started you know, doing like the the process of just clearing the blocks and paying attention to the music that's going on in my mind all the time, in my heart all the time. Just every once in a while, like, okay, it's happening. I can hear it. And there's a guitar and a microphone of some sort within easy reach. So, and I'll just keep fine tuning that song until I feel confident enough to play it for somebody. And that started happening more and more frequently at the end of last year, beginning of this year. And then I started playing the songs for people and they were like, you know what? That's really good. That might be the best thing you've ever done. And I was like, okay, good. That's a sign. And, and it's all, I really have to thank Rivers here. I wouldn't have done this had he not said, hey, will you come and get up on stage with me? And then, you know, whispered some sweet nothings in my ear about me being creative and that I, he thinks I have what it takes.
0: So... So you're just going to go for it or you have been going for it. Are you going to put out like a, like a full on like recording and putting out an album or.
1: Yeah, I'm going to. So I've got drummer, bass player, guitar player, uh female background vocalist. I think there's a percussionist who kind of moonlights a little bit and me. And um, mostly, you know, two electric guitars, bass and drums, and vocals, harmonies. Sometimes I'll just pick up the acoustic guitar and the band will keep playing. Sometimes I'll send them away and I'll just play the acoustic guitar. I've probably got like enough music for three albums, like, you know, way more music than that, but enough good, enough good songs for three records. Now I'll make one record this year for sure. And I'll just basically I'll just write, record, perform, promote, and, you know, as long as it's fun.
0: I like it. Do you have an album title yet or?
1: I don't. That's a really, uh, that's a great question. I'm going to have to think about that. Yeah.
0: Do you already have like an arrangement or you're still in the, like the songwriting collection process?
1: Um, no, I have the, there's the songs that we will play June 27th, the bottom of the hill are arranged and pretty much ready to go. That's how they'll get recorded. Yeah. For the most part. But I continued like, I'm, you know, like the meditation and the other, you know, self care. I mean, I think it's art therapy, right? This is like, what makes me like, if I could just wake up, like I love vintage King. And if I could just wake up and write songs and record and perform all day, Of course I would just do that. Right. Who wouldn't. So it like when I'm writing a song, it's like, oh, this is wow. Wow. I bet Rivers would like this, you know, or this one's about Rivers. Like I'm one of the, like, I'm the only Weezer fan really who, you know, I think, I mean, anybody could write a song about Weezer or Rivers, but Besides, there's only one other living person, Matt, who could write a song about them, from the perspective of having been in the band. So I, I think for Weezer fans, I have something to. I actually, I don't just think I have something to say. I do have something to say about that in the songs, and that will be forthcoming. And I'm excited to share it because it's good news. It's like, it's not some dramatic tale. It's like a celebration. I get to celebrate Weezer in my songs for Weezer fans if they want it. Cool. For me. But, yeah. And that's not it. That's not, that's not all I'm going to do, right? I have other things to write songs about. But that's one of the things that I have songs to write about, which is my experience with them. It's interesting. It's it's weird. It's trippy. I got kicked out of Weezer, man.
0: <laughs> Nicely. Or kind of. <laughs>
1: Lovingly and tenderly. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, so, and you're going to share one of the songs uh, with us on the on the podcast, and I know your show is going to be on the 20th, or was on the 27th. So if you're listening to this, your show is on the 27th, and now you're going to let us hear it today. Um, so tell us about this song.
1: Sure. This song is, um, I'll tell you the title, it's called Perfect Dream, and it's a... Basically, just an ode to you know a lot of what we talked about today, you know, the the people, the places, the things that happened, the the feelings, the sort of the um, the settings, the set and setting of what it was like to be in Weezer, um, you know, back in the day, on Stoner Avenue at Amherst, you know, Weezer at the teaser.
0: so is it like a rock song or is this one of your acoustic songs by yourself
1: it works as an acoustic song but it's definitely a rock song yeah it's it's in the style of the blue album
0: awesome I can't I literally cannot wait to hear it it's very exciting and I feel very fancy that you're gonna like share it with me and us and that we get to like you know kind of pass that pass that on to everyone and
1: yeah i'm excited to debut it with you rachel i think it's going to be really cool i really appreciate the opportunity to to share that with you
0: well i'm i'm just i feel very lucky that you uh came on the show and uh gave me so much of your time and answering everything so you know genuinely and um just being open about everything it's really cool
1: you're welcome it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me.
0: Is there anything else that you'd want to share with it? Uh, the fans or um, anything at all that you want to get out there?
1: No, let's see. Um, looks like I'm going to rehearse. It's six eleven now on Saturday, June 15th, and I'm going to rehearsal at 7 o'clock. So uh, I should probably uh, get going so I can eat a little dinner and go do that. And I'll be thinking about the Weezer fans while I'm rehearsing tonight, which I, I often do. I think about fans of Weezer while I'm playing my songs about Weezer in the <laughs> style of Weezer. It's pretty weird, but it, I bet it's fun. It's, it's a fun little game I get to play with myself and the people in my <laughs> band. And soon enough, anybody who wants to come check it out once we're out there gigging.
0: Are you going to come down to LA, do you guys think?
1: Yeah, I think we're going to do, you know, I was looking at maybe doing like a So Far Sounds type tour, like, you know, maybe doing like a little acoustic tour, you know, I'll just bring like one or two people with me as sort of like side people. And then I definitely want to do like a full on, you know, like if I can, if I can put the right, you know, people people in place and you know, if the people, I, I got to figure out a way to like find out if the, if the people want it to, you know, that's part of it. It's like, if I'm going to go to the trouble to like throw everybody on a plane or in a car to, you know, drive to LA to play a show, it know, I, I have to figure out a way to like, go, okay, well how much will that cost and how much will it pay and all the real world stuff. So it's all kind of in process, but I, I guess that, you know, how the sausage is made is kind of, you know, beside the point. I would really like to. I would really like to to do that. So I hope that the the community at large will give me a chance and support me in that respect. I you know, I have nothing but respect for <laughs> Weezer fans. They're a breed apart. There's nobody. It's like you know, I can't compare them to the Grateful Deadheads. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> but there is sort of like a a similar level of like fanaticism that you just don't, you know, there aren't people who are this crazy about Smashing Pumpkins. There aren't people that are this, there are people that are maybe this crazy about the Foo Fighters, but in a different way.
0: Right. Yeah, it's, I agree.
1: Weezer is unique, and Weezer fans are unique, amongst a lot of other unique, you know, bands and and all their fans and stuff, but Weezer is, maybe I'm biased.
0: (laughs) I might be too, so I can't really say <laughs>
1: well then if you're if you're biased, I mean you can't be biased like I am because I was a member of the band. This is true, you just are you prove the axiom, which is that it's you know weezer's different, Weezer's special in a way that I believe it
0: yeah i well, I agree it it's when it's the reason that I was like, oh duh, like trying to figure out. You know what to do a podcast about? It's like, well, of course, Weezer, because like there, it's a there are a lot there's so many fans of Weezer, and there really is nobody else like a Weezer fan. So
1: I think that's that's what this comes down to. I mean, like on the heels of our conversation about Michael and Carly, I think that Weezer fans are a breed apart in a very important and special way. And that's that makes, for me, being able to sit here and talk about making music into the future now and, and to be excited about it again and to have rivers, like, egging me on from the, you know, from the sidelines. Wow. I mean, like, I don't know whether to cry or laugh. It's so cool.
0: Right? Yeah, no, I'm really happy for you. I think that's great. I think that. I mean, you look happy, so like you can feel it coming off of you. So you're doing what you should be doing right now, you know?
2: Yeah.
0: So I'm excited and I wish you like lots of success Success, and I think you're going to be great. And I think that that show is going to sell out and you'll be down in LA and I'll, you'll see my face in the... out and and it'll be fun i'll buy you a beer
1: i'll pull you up on stage (laughs) and you can help me sing one of these songs because worked it out before time how's that
0: (laughs) that sounds awesome (laughs) it'll be a weird full circle
1: (laughs) exactly yes let's plan on it
0: okay well then we should take a break and be right back and say goodbye Everyone, we are going to let Jason get back to his dinner and rehearsal. Jason, where can everyone find you on social media?
1: Uh, let's see here. I think my Instagram handle is uh, J Crop with two P's. So J C R O P P one two three. J Crop okay. one two three two P's. And then my Facebook is just Jason Cropper. And I'm sure there's probably like 90 or so Jason Croppers on there. Some, most of them probably real. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on there and you can friend me. And I don't have, I haven't maxed out my friends yet, but that would be cool. <laughs> I think you know, there's like, you're allowed like a certain number and then they stop you. I don't have a Twitter. I should probably get one. Eh, yeah.
0: If you want. Um, and I will put the links in the show notes as well so that you can just click on down there and find Jason's stuff. You can find We Are Weezer uh, at, we have a website, com. We Are Weezer on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Listen, subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Thank you so much, Brian, for the sound. Thank you, everyone, for listening and big thank you to Jason. This is like one of like the coolest things that I, I get to do in my life is talk to other Weezer fans and, and to be able to talk to you is like a big deal for me. So I uh, really appreciate it. Um, And it means a lot. So thank you very much.
1: (laughs) You're welcome, Rachel. It's been a pleasure and you're delightful. Thank you for doing this important work. I think it's great.
0: (laughs) Thank you. All right. Well, that is it. We'll see you guys next time. Adios.
1: Bye.
2: <laughs> Rachel, this one's for you. When you need a happy place to go because the TV screen I love you